For coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I am super duper pumped about our guest here with me today with a traffic stopping voice, which I can confirm, and powerful presence. Cat Cunning, they them pronouns, is an accomplished screen and stage talent, recording artist, activist, and choreographer. They debuted on Broadway in La Liaison Dangereuse and in Cirque du Soleil, in addition to acting alongside James Franco in HBO's The Deuce, and most recently, J-Lo in Marry Me. Cunning is also thrilled to be contributing to authentic LGBTQ AI plus representation as a non-binary role in Netflix's upcoming Purple Hearts and making another anticipated appearance in Issa Rae's rap shit on HBO Max. Kat garnered most of their fans as the infamous Sabine on, in Trinkets on, on Netflix, which featured their original songs such as King of Shadow, Birds, and Supernova, with which they have supported sold-out tours for LP and Verite. Kat's latest single, Boys, is a soulful pop anthem that aims to represent the underserved transmasculine community and LGBTQ and marginalized people alike. Kat, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Wow, that was nice to hear my bio read aloud. It feels, feels good. Isn't that cool? I, yeah. It's like, and also you have so much, you're doing so much. Thank Are, you. That's yeah. nice to, to have reflected back on me because sometimes I, like all of us, I feel like I'm not doing enough. Oh my gosh, I could talk about that for this whole episode, but we won't, but it, it's just, it's such a, such a bummer. We're, we're all doing so much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we had like a two-year pandemic and everyone feels like they didn't do anything, but we did survive like a gigantic worldwide trauma. So that's enough. That's way more than enough, I think, for sure. So you had a, a tooth bolt. How are you feeling? I, just, I yeah. feel like I, I wanted to name it up front just in no, case. No, let's go. You know? Yeah. <laughs> let's for all of you listening, <laughs> if this mic is so high detail that you hear me sucking on my stitches, I just had, can you, can you hear anything gross? Is it disgusting? Not yet. Okay, TBD. good. You just let me know. <laughs> they should be so lucky. Um, I had a tooth pulled two days ago. So I have a gigantic gap in the back of my mouth and some stitches and I'm really enjoying it. Honestly, get rid of that. Can I curse on this podcast? Yeah. You read that fucking tooth. It's been a pain in my face for years. Oh my gosh. Are you, do you get an implant or is it just gone in a a hole forever? You know, I'm torn not to give in to the dental pressures of capitalism, Mm -hmm. Um, but I do think it's a good idea to preserve the shape of your jaw. So I think I'm going to get an implant, although I'm kind of into my newfound lisp and I would (laughs) like to just rock the cap. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get something shoved up there, I guess. Cool. I have an implant on my bottom left and it's, it's fine. Are you fond of it? Is it a new, like, do you love this resident? Do they pay rent on time? Um, yeah, they're pretty decent. Um, every once in a while they give me trouble because food will get stuck in there and it's like, 
way more annoying. And my dentist was like, you need to floss harder around your implant. And I was like, I'm afraid it's going to pop out. Yeah. It's a terrible feeling. Insecurity around your teeth is so scary. And it's such a metaphor that I often want to write into songs, but teeth doesn't sing very well. Um, But I've had so much, so much teeth trauma. I actually became alerted to the vulnerability of my mouth when a tooth this last year during the pandemic cracked in half on a chicken tender. No. Yeah. Crucial word being tender. Yeah. It was soft. It was soft. And so was the tooth apparently. So then I became alerted to all these other things that had gone horribly. Like most artists, I didn't have real dental insurance for like the last 10 years. So yeah, it turns out this one had to come out, but I do feel good about it. It like has given me so much trouble. I feel like I was talking to some other people, my age, a group of queer people recently. And it's like, my mom was like, now that you're out and dating, you should, um, you'll be able to have new things to talk about with the people you're dating. Like, um, you know, whether or not they have assets like houses and like what their business is like. And I was like, honestly, everyone I know is just talking about how much their teeth cost. Totally. Like, do you have dental insurance? (laughs) Yeah. And do you have teeth problems? Can we relate on how fragile our bodies are? (laughs) So fragile. I feel like one of my biggest fears I've, um, like a lot of big fears, but one of them is falling and cracking a tooth. And I mean, it's, I feel like it's common, but I just like, I don't, I don't want to do it. I feel like it would suck so much. I respect that the fall, you're not afraid of like breaking an arm. It's just the teeth. Mm, It's the teeth. (laughs) They're bones in your face that you express yourself with. It's a very emotional thing. We all have dreams about our teeth. They're just like, it's a crazy thing that we just present our skeleton as a smile. That's so deep that, I mean, that's your song. song. (laughs) (laughs) And also like mouth bones. Mouth bones. Let's go. Thank you. I'm in this podcast as a brainstorm for what to write next. (laughs) Right. That's like, uh, I hope this isn't the same as when my mom's like, put that in your skit. (laughs) That's a, you know, (laughs) you're pointing out some good things. I'm I'm definitely going to steal them. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, good. You're welcome. Okay. So we all have multiple coming out stories, multiple coming into ourselves stories. And so I, and the rest of my listeners and everybody in the world want to know well, all of your stories, but for this purpose, one. Okay. Yeah. It is so tempting to go down so many lanes. I purposely didn't prepare because I wanted to see what my ADD chose today. Great. I think that if I'm talking about sexuality, which is where I'll start, you know, realizing that I'm gay. um, I like a lot of people had like high school, middle school, best friend that I didn't think anything of dry humping. And then, um, and then I went to college and met the first girl that like just really arrested my attention. I was just like, that's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. And I, my sexual awakening to just gloss over it. Cause it's not that story was the threesome with her and her girlfriend. And it was mm. like so wonderful and magical. And then I was like, Oh, I'm entirely in love with this one person. Threesomes often go this way. <laughs> uh, and Then I just, yeah, there was just no denying it. So I came home and I was really scared to tell my family, which is weird because my mom actually came out as queer when I was like 11 years old. And she had a, she had a long-term female partner. Um, So I had every reason to believe it would be no big deal. But I think as far as the people around me were concerned, I was like the straightest thing. I was perceived as the straightest thing around like it was just so glossed over even when I told my mom I was like I kissed somebody and it like really felt amazing she was like 
and the Katy Perry song, I kissed a girl had just come out. So everyone was like, Oh, so fun. College experimenting. Like everyone just kind of glossed over it until I also experienced what a lot of first queer love stories is, which is like just being totally obsessed and consumed by this person. And like, went through crazy heartbreak. And so my coming out was really just talking specifically about her and not being able to talk about anything else or hold it back. I was just so obsessed with loving her. And then after that, after that broke my heart horribly and tore it into a million pieces and slowed my life down for a brief moment in college, I dated a bunch of boys (laughs) to like cleanse my palate, I guess. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I think coming out happens over and over again in phases and in tears and on different platforms. But that one was, it was pretty organic. I just, it's always been natural for me to tell my story. And I was most scared to tell my dad, mostly because I had seen him be divorced by my mom mm. <laughs> when she came out. And I was just like, I was afraid of all of the stereotypes aligning, honestly, especially as a teenager who wants to say I'm doing exactly what my mom is doing. <laughs> right. Um, and, but I had some funny responses. My little brother was like, yeah, duh. And my older brother was like, yeah, if I was a girl, I'd be a lesbian too, <laughs> which leads me to part two of my coming out story, which is more recent, um, coming out as non-binary transmasculine as a part of my gender. Um, that one, I just became way more it was in the pandemic. So I wasn't really socializing a lot. I didn't have a lot of in-person people to come out to anyway. And I had, I had been performing this song that I wrote two years prior called boys, the transmasculine anthem. I wrote it thinking I wrote it for someone that I loved that was a transmasculine person. And then the more I performed it and the more I realized how much it meant to me, I was like, who are you kidding? This is, you're talking about yourself. This is an acceptance story to you. And I had this particular moment where I was actually playing it at a transmasculine event at Henrietta Hudson in New York. Um, and I like said this thing before the show that just like, I cringe to think about, I don't know what it was, but it, it made me distant from the concept of transmasculinity, but also like sort of joking that it's a part of me too, but not fully committing. And everybody laughed. It was fine. I was charming enough when I said it, but it stuck with me that it wasn't fully true how I was presenting this like adjacent relationship to transmasculinity. I think that I didn't give myself permission to identify that way because I particularly am not perceived that way. People don't perceive me at first glance or at any physical surface level glance as even non-binary. And I have a lot of people who respond to me for being so vocal about being non-binary because they didn't think that they were allowed to identify as non-binary and certainly not transmasculine if they look like a girl. And the thing that I've come to is like, I grew up in dance where I would literally wear like lipstick and makeup and slick my hair back for like my sport. So in part femininity or the aesthetic of femininity was a like a part of my armor in order to execute the thing I loved doing (laughs) and also an expressive tool that to me, didn't at all define what my actual gender was. I sort of feel like femininity is still really fun for me in a drag queen type of way and an expressive way. And also I feel 
really resentful about the idea that if I'm transmasculine or non-binary, I'm supposed to do extra things to spell that out to other people. It's up to my comfort level, how much I can handle people misperceiving me. I, I could, you know, for me, it would be caving to cut my hair off and, and like change to modify myself when I'm just like the way that I am is who I am. Anyway, I guess I went on a tangent there. <laughs> no, that was, first of all, thank you so much for sharing both of those stories. I, I did not perceive any of that as tangents, but most all very much in line with what we're talking about. So thank you for sharing. I um, My pleasure. I have so many questions and also relate. I like relate to so many things that you were saying and um, I, maybe I'll work backwards. Um, I went like, I made a, Never mind. I'm trying to describe what I'm doing in the screen. It doesn't matter. Um, so this idea of presenting, you were, you said that you said something at Henrietta Hudson that like you think back on and is like, I, I tried to catch it, but it was like presented as like an adjacent relationship. Yeah. And I, it, and I'm going to share something that I was, and I wonder if this is similar, because this is what's coming up for me. I was, so for the last five years, I, I worked at a nonprofit um, and we worked with Jewish institutions on LGBTQ inclusion. And like, as I was coming into my trans identity, it was still like pretty new for me um, is when I started working at this organization. And I was in California for a retreat for LGBTQ and ally teen Jewish teens. And I was in a hotel lobby and I was talking to this person. I think he might've been, I think this person might've been the shuttle driver. We got into a conversation um, about why I was in California. And I kept saying, I was talking about LGBTQ teens and I kept talking about trans people. And I kept saying they like, as if I'm not a trans person. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I separated myself from the conversation. Yeah. And that's something that I look back on and feel icky about. Cause it's like, why was I so afraid to say we, or I, and instead like put it on this other, you know, other entity. people and, and yes, entity. <laughs> yes. Thank you. And that from that moment for me kind of helped solidify, like, I actually need to get more comfortable talking about myself as a trans person because mm -hmm. that's not fair. I don't know what fair is. I don't know. Maybe that's not the right way to say it, but I don't know. That was very illuminating for me. And is that, is that similar-ish to what you were talking about? Yeah. So similar. Like the people around me had no issue with it, but in my gut, I knew that I wasn't honoring how I feel. And I was sort of like, the, I think the icky thing felt like on some level, it was nearing being exploitative that I'm like around this culture, but not owning that it I'm here because it speaks to me it is a part of who I am. And if mm. I'm just like getting to talk about it in an adjacent way, like I'm stepping into this community and then I'm going to leave it when this party is over. It's just, that just wasn't true for me. And I feel like particularly being somebody who has a platform, trust me, I want, I want my music and my acting to be received by the mainstream. So I'm often engaging with people who've never even heard of this kind of thing. And I get misgendered all the time. And I will be honest, I'm not one of those people who is like, I'm not going to stop the flow of a whole conversation if I'm being misgendered in part, because I, don't feel, I feel like it's a privilege to be asked to honor me. You know, there's like a surface level engagement that you have with strangers, for example. And I'm sort of like, I need to also see that you're actually interested in honoring me 
um, and then ask to trust you with seeing that about me. So that's not to say that I would ever hide my pronouns or my gender, but if it's just happening over and over again in a space that I'm not fully invested, I also will just let it fly because it's, I'm not invested in them and I don't need to trust that they are invested in me at that moment. So it is a very like case by case experience for me where I guess to a certain extent I code switch because sometimes I just don't feel like I want to go into a TED talk about what gender is. It's not my job to educate people in -hmm. every situation. I forget why I started talking about this. Can you remember? Um, yeah, because you said that you were, um, feeling like you were being exploitative of being adjacent to something. So yeah, I guess what I'm saying is I decided in, in that moment that I was like, I need to honor this and, and put it out everywhere. I publish who I am and everywhere I make a statement about who I am because it is a truth for me and particularly having any kind of platform. I want to honor that, like transmasculine and non-binary people are not in this tiny little corner somewhere talking to each other. Like Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to be in the mainstream representing who I am and changing people's minds about what this looks like and how truly common it is. Like when I first came out to my mom about my pronouns and my gender, it was way harder for her to accept even than my sexuality, because it's like that much scarier in society. And all she wants for me is to succeed and have an easy go of doing what I came here to do, which is make my art. And that's just, that's a part of societal growth. Like there's a new idea every 10 years. And if I just like choose to hide this about myself, then we don't grow. And she now is like, yeah, I guess if I had this language back when I was your age, I would use it too. And she's like, she's like, yeah, you know, it's almost like people feel averse to it because they're like, well, that's not other that's human. So why do you get to do it? And it's like, everyone can grow with Mm -hmm. us. Let's go into the future. Yeah. I actually, I hear that a lot of, of older generation people saying, well, if I would have known that, then yeah, I mean, that's, that, that checks out for me. It's like, yeah, yeah, like, cause of course, like we just didn't have the language um, before. Yeah. And it's not exclusionary to move forward. It's just, we now have the opportunity to educate them. Should we feel so generous or like we have those opportunities? Yeah, for sure. You know, something you said is really striking me and I want to be thinking about it for a long time. And it's this idea of, um, people having to earn the like the honor and I don't know if that's exact words but essentially what you're saying of like knowing who you are and like getting the privilege I think is actually what you said um to learn like to know what your pronouns are and to to have that trust because it is it's a trust like when I I was in a lift the other day and I was telling a story about and somehow the third person me came in and I was like debating in my head what pronouns should I use Mm -hmm. and I did use they them but it's like, it's always a negotiation because I, you know, it can be unsafe to come out to certain people. Precisely. And even if it's not unsafe, it might solicit that you have to talk about gender to your Lyft driver for the next 30 minutes. And that's not your job. I mean, I experienced that even when I was just gay, you know, (laughs) just gay, like it's not (laughs) enough. Um, But, you know, like getting 
dropped, getting put in an Uber while my girlfriend goes somewhere else. And then the Uber driver just talking to me about what gay is the whole time. And it's just like, that is so uncomfortable and so not okay that I'm stuck in this moving room with you with doors that lock and you're cornering me about my sexuality. Like Google it, Google all of this. It's not my job. If I choose to invest in a relationship with you, I will correct you immediately. And that always comes from a place of love. And I had to explain that to my mom and my dad, that it's like, I'm not correcting you to make you feel dumb. I'm correcting you because when you get it right, it makes me feel loved. And you want that. You want for us to both have a loving relationship that grows and changes where we put effort into it. That's so fucking beautiful. (laughs) Like I was, oh my God, I love that. That's, I wish, I wish that I could have said that to my, I mean, I still can say that to my parents. Um, cause that's such a loving invitation and like such a, I guess that's like a reframe from how I've been trying to explain it to them. Cause I'm just like, it's respectful. Like I feel seen when you use my pronouns, but I love that idea of it's coming from, from a place of building trust and like, in and love and that's beautiful. Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. My dad had the hardest time, um, he like sort of accepted it on a surface, but like put his foot down about, you know, I'll work on it around you, but essentially like he's going to have a hard time translating that to his friends. And I was just like, let's just get this right at the core. Cause I think if you believe it in it, if you understand what it does for me, I think you'll be empowered to fight for it and to be the small amount of change you can be by introducing people to this concept and, and not like, compartmentalizing that you talk to queer people in a certain way and you talk to straight people in a certain way. It's almost more important that you talk to your straight friends this way than it is that you get it right with me because it's about changing the mentality around gender in general. And it's also about practicing that for yourself because it's just a better way to be a human. But I really related to his um, sentiment that he didn't want to do it because he he was afraid it meant he was losing his daughter. Mm -hmm. And I I, everyone has their own relationship to every situation, but I personally have been willing to be kind of loose with my parents about the word daughter, because I understand that they're really attached to the person that they coddled and fed and drove to dance every single day, et cetera. I'm really strict about get my pronouns right, et cetera. But for some reason, the title daughter for me is okay. And I can give that one up because it's like, I just can tell that it brings them a lot of joy, but I still was like, you're not losing your daughter. Let's unpack this. Like Mm -hmm. my, your favorite photo of me when I was a kid is wearing grandpa's sweater and his hat and like looking like this, like this has been me always. You're not losing anyone. You're gaining more trust in a relationship with the same person. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I, my parents, and I think it's, I, I, in my experience, that's a pretty common you know, sentiment is like, I'm losing my ex, like whatever, you know? Yeah. And, and I have, I've had to explain to them so many times of like, I'm still, not only am I still here, but I am, yeah. I am happier. I am yeah. healthier. I'm more connected to myself and the world around me. And like, isn't that what you want? Like, it's yeah, it's like, like no short, like it should be taken seriously that I'm choosing, like given the statistics of trans people, frankly, killing themselves, you should be so excited that I am figuring out how to be me and how yeah. to walk around the world being fully me, you know? And if they could see that, that 
that's what it is. And then it's not like this trend, which is so funny because you think about like the fifties or whatever, being into girls, everyone always downplays these things as like trends or fads or phases. And it's like, you know, sometimes they are, and that's, that's allowed, but like honor it from the start and then honor it when it changes, if it changes, like there's Mm -hmm. no point in trying to smother an instinct like that. Yeah. And like, we're, we're, the human experience is meant to change and evolve over time. Like we grow up, we learn and learn new things and have different experiences that change and shape the way that we are, not only gender and sexual orientation and identity, but like, well, and, but other identity wise, like figuring out what other kinds of things bring us joy or how, what's important to us, what are our values, those change too. So, you know, not everything is, most things are not static and we are raised to believe that they are. And mm-hmm. so it's hard when people break out of that, that standstill. Yeah. And all of that is just a function of capitalism, like the status, mm. uh, dr- the status that most people are supposed to try and achieve is like by 20, you're married by 25, you have three kids and then you have a house and then you just like feed the economy with whatever job you're staying in. And that is just like a fallacy. You have so many years left in your life to change your mind. And I'm really lucky actually that I had the example of my mom finding her independence so many different times in her life. And like, sometimes I say, cause people ask me if I want to get married or have kids and Sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I'm just going to like skip the first three marriages (laughs) (laughs) and just have the really fun one in my (laughs) sixties. I mean, why not? Right. (laughs) You know, there's no right way at the end of the day. And I think that if we could get better at practicing, like allowing people to change and celebrating change, like I know that it's a fear for some queer people, particularly queer people that have chosen to build their brand around it, which in part, I'm not building my brand around queerness, but I'm being authentically out. And that's, you know, something people are afraid to do for the reason that like, should you ever change your mind? Are you, are people going to abandon you? And I just, I'm not a queer artist. I mean, I am, I'm a fucking queer artist, but I'm also, I'm just a human, like choosing to share my story as it is real in the ways that I do, you know what I mean? And I think that if we could practice people changing of their minds, evolving, changing what they do, and just like celebrating those gusts of wind that we'd all discover a lot more in our lives. So true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something else you said, a lot of, a lot of most everything you're saying is resonating, but I have to, I have to narrow down. Um, another one was, um, about like the perception that other people have about your identity and your, um, like trans maskness and how Mm -hmm. people, and I, I had this interaction once and it was, um, I was on a date and I was telling this person, I was like really opening up. And I was like, I, like, I feel like I exude masculinity. And this was like pre me having a lot of understanding about most things. And I like, I hadn't had my top surgery yet, which I equate with masculine, I equated with masculinity, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I was like really excited to be like able to even say out loud that I exude masculinity. Mm-hmm. And because that even in, a, in and of itself is a scary thing to say, uh, yeah. can, can be. And she was like, oh, I don't get that from you at all. Oh, <laughs> and I like, hate that. Shut it down. 
so quickly. And it you're like, really- I'm trying to ask you to mirror what I see in myself. And love can be so such a powerful resource for that, or such a heartbreakingly painful experience for that. Truly, truly, it was so terrible to hear because I like you know, and it's really getting me. It was it. Only in hindsight do I now question all of these interactions I've had. I had an ex who, um, when I would, I started talking to her about me going on tea, and she was like, "That's like just shut it down." Also, shut it down. And I really took to heart what she said. And and it's been a lot of work to not, and is actively working on to not take to heart so much other people's perceptions of me. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard because I am the person when I get misgendered, I take it personally because mm-hmm. it's like, I want to be seen for who I am. Like, and that's part of you walking around in the world, the way that you do, you're like, I'm, can I, I'm willing to put it into words. So for the world, not to echo that back at you is painful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I, I think that it's really powerful to have this conversation with you around like you kind of like bucking people's perceptions away. And it's like who I am is who I am. And I get to define what trans masculinity is for you. And that can look different for each person. And I think for a lot of people, old me, but like, and, but currently a lot of people, there's this idea of what masculinity is or what femininity is. And if anybody breaks out of it, it's wrong. It's wrong. Yeah, that's not- in part why I'm non-binary because it's like we're we I don't know. I love the tropes of masculine and fe- masculinity and femininity. I love them. We have like James Dean, he's smoking a cigarette. It's a white shirt, the sleeves are rolled up. And then we have like Betty Davis with her super sad eyes and her fluffy hair and she's backlit and I love those and I want to play with those. But they're fucking cartoons of ideas Mm -hmm. that ultimately are supposed to come together, make babies and support capitalism. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Uh, It's just like a story that we're being asked to believe in because being alive is really overwhelming. And to understand that you have a million options makes a lot of people go fucking crazy. So I feel like um, that being said, those, those two binary ideas, if you think of them as costumes and they're playful while also taking the power away from the super toxic horrible social behaviors that we prescribe to both of those cartoons, then we'd all just be a little bit better off. Like I love putting on a dress and makeup. I love feeling like Marilyn Monroe, but I bet you if I sat down with Marilyn Monroe after three, three weeks of knowing her, she'd probably talk to me about how she's gender fluid as well. You know, mm-hmm. if everyone given the options, there's just so much more creativity than we're tapping into. And I also forgot what tangent I was going on. Oh, but another thought that I wanted to address is that um, when you said that that person shutting you down in a date was just like, just sucked so bad and stuck with you. I have a memory like as early as like 15, having no idea that I wanted to ever identify my masculine side really, or potentially transition, which is something that is still on my like, I'm open to it. Should I ever feel like I'm ready to commit to that idea? Mm-hmm. It's not an option I rule out. And so it's important to me in relationships to feel like that part of me is so accepted that should it go that way, that's not like a, no, I don't love you. Right. Um, but I, yeah, I have a memory of sitting at the dinner table with probably like <laughs> with my, my mom and her female partner's 
family, which was shared with her ex-husband, who was like probably the queerest, most hippy-dippy, elvish man you could ever see, like so feminine and gender fluid. And just like in the company of really open-minded people and sitting there at that table, even they said, I said something about how I feel masculine. I can't remember the words, but he was like, oh, you couldn't be masculine if you tried. Mm. And that like stuck in my soul for, for years, especially coming from this person who's having so much fun expressing such fluidity, but because I look like whatever they think I look like, it's just not in the cards. Cause I'm so feminine. And I just really resent that. I'm grateful for my body. I have a, a lovely voluptuous body that people think of as a, you know, it's an hourglass, but like, I love to accentuate the angles and I love to, I just want to be perceived as everything that's inside me because being, I didn't purchase these boobs. I didn't purchase this, butt, I didn't put any of this on. So why do we have to impose the cartoon on it? Like every body shape and every kind of hair that grows, it's just not gendered. You're, you're just a human walking around. That'd be such a world if we, if that could be what was true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think about, I think about that a lot because when I told people that I wanted to have top surgery, um, a lot of pushback was like, but this is your body. This is how God made you. And it's like, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable in my body. Like, I don't feel like this is my body. And I wonder if we lived in a container of a world where we didn't impose gender on body parts, if I would feel the same way. Mm-hmm, right. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but you do live with that constant, the constant microaggression of being perceived as something you're not. And so yeah. at the end of the day, also, sure. Like you said, if you're just like in a room with only people who accept you at all times, then yeah, maybe you'd like do a million crazy things, but we do live in a society and we take whatever red and blue pill we need to, to feel mentally healthy. Like you, yeah, you, your experiences ricocheted off of other people. And if you're constantly feeling like you're not being seen for who you are, then making any type of change is not something to judge. I wanted to get a breast reduction since I was uh, 16 years old And for those listening, I put that in quotations. I think at the time it was more of a top surgery thing than it was a breast reduction. And yeah, lots of people around me were like, absolutely not. This is your body. You're so proportionate and et cetera, et cetera. But can we talk about it? Gender aside, like boobs are fucking useless. Like unless I'm really aiming to feed a baby, which sure, maybe I should hold on to the possibility of feeding a baby if hormones kick in and I really want to do that. But like for now, they're just like floppy things in my way that make me hunch over. And (laughs) I've, (laughs) I've ultimately decided that I am at a place with my body that I'm excited that it's changed. Like the other thing is like when you're young, your boobs are like hard and weird and super foreign. And now they're like kind of sagging and I can smush them around how I want to, (laughs) which is nice. Um, so I've decided to stick with it for now. Um, but yeah, boobs are weird. They don't really have a function. Like I'm okay with my big old hips, my big butt. Cause it like gets me up hills, but I have had a lot of weird feelings about like this literally just being like a super, maternal 
baby feeder that's sexualized. <laughs> totally. I had, I actually had a breast reduction a decade before my top surgery. I mm. just didn't put two and two together enough <laughs> at the time. Yeah. But, you got um, halfway there. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, I use them. I use my breasticles to rest plates on while Amazing. I was eating in bed and like to I would put my phone between the two. Yeah. Like, otherwise useless. Totally useless. <laughs> um, and that's not to say like, I can appreciate breasts, but not of in my own body. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's just so interesting to think about because yeah, we don't live in a container. It's all, it's all what we're brought up with and how we're conditioned to think and believe. And um, yeah, it was, it's, it, it really is important to, to surround oneself with people who can accept all the expanding and retracting parts of who we are because I used to test people all the time before I was out in certain capacities of like, 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 how would you feel if I was gay? Or like, what if so-and-so is gay? Or like, what happens? What would you, what, like, should I cut my hair short? And everyone would be like, no, you have beautiful, long blonde hair. Don't cut your hair short. And <laughs> the I'm like, exact <laughs> words of my life. Thank you for voicing yes, this. <laughs> exactly. And I'm just like, ah, oh. but it's like those, those, what's are seemingly innocent actually like were very powerful for me of like, Am I going to lose the love of these people if they all are telling me that I am beautiful because of my hair or I'm, you know, beautiful because of blah, blah, blah. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, maybe I don't even want to be beautiful. Thought yeah. about that. Maybe I want to be or, handsome. Yeah, precisely. I also, um, just to go a little deeper on the super vain, superficial side of things, <laughs> um, I have often, I also literally asked my mom this last week, should I cut my hair? This is what it would look like if I cut my hair. And she just gave me like evil eyes. She's like, don't do it you are mm. which like I've cut my hair once before she's not a horrible person she just really loves my locks and our family's got really cool gold hair and also probably it does book me a lot of roles so whatever it's part it's part of my drag costume for now but um on the topic what the hell was I trying to say oh man you're gonna go deeper in the vein I was gonna go vein deeper topic. in the vein oh oh when I think about it though I'm like actually I do love all these tools for oscillating between the two with, cause I did cut my hair quite short once. And I, that felt to me like an acquiescence. Like I actually love having long hair to slick back mm. in what looks like a short hairdo. And it makes me feel very in control. It makes me feel like I'm going to war. So honestly, if mm. I had short, like frizzy curly hair, I might feel way less masculine about it. So it's also about like really testing the waters about what you what makes you feel masculine? Like I have a friend who's like, when my hair is really long, I feel way more masculine, which in part just physically, it probably like thins out her face when it's straight and long and she does look more masculine and that makes her feel good. And so it's also like, what is your expression versus how to most closely emulate James Dean silhouette? Yeah. I, um, I remember when I cut my hair, th- this is the longest my hair has ever been in, in like seven or eight years. And it's like, oh, actually not great. even. thank you. It's not even really that long, but I think about this a lot because I hated my long hair because it, people read me as a woman, as a girl. And so cutting my hair short was helping me align with who I am and how I want to be perceived. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm, I'm on T like a year and a half. And so my voice is deeper. I have little baby facial hairs. Yeah. I'm obsessed with, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm like playing around with the idea of having long hair again. And yeah. it's because I get to decide 
and I get to be, I get to be in control and assign what it means. Yes. But like before, like it's, it just felt, it feels impossible. Like for me to just be like, nope, this is my hair and whatever gender I am, this is that gender's hair. It's like, I have to like go through all the like stuff. Do you, does this make yeah. sense for them to, like, to, to be in control of it? Yeah, of course. You still just felt like it was all being imposed on you. I definitely have lots of outlets for the control of my gender expression. I write songs and I do interviews and I put it on my self-publishing Instagram, what my gender is. And I have garnered an audience that echoes that back at me. They all call me daddy. I'm like, (laughs) I fucking love it. And I'm like, thank you guys for affirming what I want to see in myself, what I feel like inside and also for helping me draw people that want to affirm that in me to me without me necessarily having to just like if I was just a person walking through the world and that's the only experience I got to have was like I go to the grocery store I go to work etc etc I don't have like a megaphone that's like I'm this come to me because I'm this I would certainly make changes I would be so crippled by being unseen But I have enough of, I've been able to use my words enough to draw people to me, to echo back what I am. And I'm lucky for that, that I have this platform and that it's natural for me to like speak so openly about my experience. Um, Cause in my everyday life, I don't, it's not echoed back at me most of the time. Every time I sit down in a restaurant, it's like, thank you, ladies. How are we doing ladies? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't get to me because the people around me know who I am and we can like look at each other and laugh about it. Maybe one day I'll get there, but until then, <laughs> I get angry. <laughs> until then, please be the population that gets angry. We need both. Yes, okay? you're right. Yeah. We need all tactics. Ah, uh, that's so true. I've been actually, was, I've been thinking about that a lot with social, like social justice and change work of like the people, like they're the people who are the like agitators who like really get in there and they take nothing from no one. And then we have like on the other end. The people who are like, let's sit down and have a conversation and I'll hold your hand and I'll let you shit all over my identity in the name of education. Yeah. But like, and then everything. And then we have the people in the background writing laws that don't ever step into a protest. All these things matter and make the difference to like furthering the future. I feel like, you know, for me, for the most part, when a protest gets violent, I'm like, let's protect each other because I want you to tell your story loudly on a more gigantic platform. And there are people who are like, no, this is what I've got. Like fucking I'm running into this with my fists and my face and I'm going to go to jail for it. And it's just, you should use whatever tool you have. So, you know, if that's in your heart to be on the front line in that physical way, then thank God for that. And if it's your instinct to get angry and cause a little bit of a scene that maybe the waiter has never experienced before that then they go Google pronouns. Thank God for that. Mm -hmm. You know? It's all, it all counts. You just, there's no pressure to be a certain way with it. As long as you don't have that icky feeling in your body because you're not honoring who you are and what you can do with your humanity while you're on the earth. I love that. You keep saying all these like gems (laughs) that I want tattooed. (laughs) (laughs) You're just going to have like a cat leg of just like all your words. Come on, let's go. What a dream. Yeah. (laughs) I just, I think. A, a common theme, I think, that I'm pulling from all the things that you say is like, there's just not one right way for anything. Mm-mm. There just isn't. And we're so conditioned to think in this binary, black and white, 
one or the other, you know, way that it's really hard for a lot of people. I'd probably say the majority of people to be able to hold multiple truths and like what works for you might not work for me, but both are valid as long as what we're doing is not oppressing other people. Yeah. (laughs) But like, there's nothing wrong with how you move through the world and there's nothing wrong with how I move through the world. They're very, they're different in how we show up in those moments, but because when I do, when I do equity, like DEI trainings, people want the like packaged up answer. And it's like, I can tell you an answer. I can tell you and give you options. Yeah. But like, there is no, just this because we're all different people and we move through the world differently. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it's such a hard concept for a lot of people. Yeah. Cause it's daunting. A lot of people come into it, not wanting to be wrong. And that's in part because we have created a cancel culture where even within your own community, you can get torn down for being wrong. I feel like this was really heightened at the beginning of the pandemic because we were finally focusing on like BLM and lots of other like political things were coming to the forefront now that everybody wasn't so exhausted by whatever their day job was. And we also only had the internet to engage with most people. So I feel like um, we unfortunately saw a lot of like quick canceling and like a lot of tearing each other down if you said the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that is so counterproductive, like particularly within your own community. I did an interview that like, I didn't realize was going to basically just be turned into clickbait. Mm. They put up like the most hyper feminine photo of me. And the the title was, yep, I'm non-binary. And so it naturally drew people to be like, you said the wrong thing somewhere in this thing. And we already are throwing hate at you because you look it just, I wasn't cared for. My perspective wasn't cared for in the piece of publication. And it hurt me so badly because I've, I was like, if there's any reason I speak up, it's because I think we should allow room for each other's perspectives and grow and learn more. And it just felt in that concentrated space that I didn't know I was signing up to speak mm. in. Um, like it was instead a lot of people who were really angry that we don't as a community have more power. And when that translates to tearing each other down in this community, that breaks my heart the most because it's like, you all are so stressed in this tiny room that our society has put you us in that you're fucking clawing at each other when really we need to be like knocking on the door for food. Like Mm -hmm. they need to give us resources so that we stop tearing each other apart. We are all together and and to be queer also is an intersectional thing. Like we have our rights because of black trans people. And so it's just like we all in being marginalized, a part of a marginalized community, we need to take on each other's issues and become more compassionate and be willing to listen, educate, grow. Um, Because it's just really heartbreaking that when we tear each other down, it only hurts us. Nobody else hears about it. Nobody that has what we're hoping they'll give us is listening when we hurt each other. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I see so much. I just sometimes I have to put Instagram away because I'm just like, people just tear the fuck each other apart and down. And just to double down what you're talking about with cancel culture, even when people apologize you you didn't apologize quick enough you didn't apologize right yep and it's like how is anyone ever going to um like 
want to try to stick their neck out, like take a risk to, mm-hmm. to, to do, to show up in this world. If even, even if I'm called in or out and I say, you're right, I'm sorry. And that's not good enough. It's like, well, I'm never going to do anything again because I don't want to get put through this hell. Yeah, precisely. And then it also just like gives in general a, yeah, a sour, sour feeling about the community at large. Like that we're just these elitist intellectual people that queer or straight people shouldn't want to deal with because we're just over here having our own conversation about what is smartest and newest, et cetera. Like, yeah, I just think it's, it's too easy to get distracted from the goal of all of us being allowed to be the humans that we are, which for me, I do feel like I have enough energy. Like I'm sort of like a double agent. If I get mainstream famous, then I'm like, I want all the bros in my audience so that I can change their minds. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, I do. Ah, man, I could talk about this for hours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do have a question and I was watching one of your Instagram lives Mm -hmm. and you were talking about this dumb, dumb metaphor. (laughs) Oh God. Um, About putting yourself out there. And I think, and can you, can you tell us what that is? Do you you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) I I can try and rephrase it. I'm sure it was a pretty dumb thing to say, but um, (laughs) basically I think that I had felt not received by someone. I'm trying to remember the the cause of why I said this. Can you can you remember from the live what I was citing? I think it was something like I think you were like sitting at a bar engaging with people, maybe. Yes, and it had a lot to do with the fact that I was really just trying to like see. I'm I'm new to LA. I've lived in New York the last 15 years. I came here, and every time I go to a new city anywhere in the world, I go to the gay bar, and I sit my ass down, and I'm fine to drink a drink alone and just see queer people around me because it makes me happy. I like to see the different expressions of them. But in this particular case, um, this person came up to me and was very charming and flirty. And I was like, that's all good. And then I tried to positive, positively re-navigate to like, let's be friends. Let's talk and have a community drink. And they just got so angry so quickly. And Mm. I was so mad about that. And they also kept you know, this is a, this is a situation where I didn't tell this person my pronouns because they already were not interested. They already were hyper feminizing me. Even when I tried to careen the conversation in a different direction, they, they actually went to the extent of pulling random girls walking by into the conversation to say, um, isn't she beautiful? Isn't this a beautiful woman as a form of flirting with me to get me to open up because she, she thought that I was being guarded because I didn't love myself. I was like, I'm being guarded because you are not interested in me as a human. Yeah. You're interested in winning me because you think that I'm something to be won, mm. which was disheartening to me. Um, but the dumb, dumb metaphor, I think that the thing worth keeping about it was that there's a, um, the mystery flavor, dumb, dumb, yeah. like mm-hmm. these things could make you feel like never going out again. They could make you feel like not engaging, you know, anything that makes you, that shuts you down because it didn't go well could make you not want to re-engage. And that conversation, it was worth it to me. I keep going out because I'm like, what about the meet cute with a, a random queer person in the city who also really needs just a good beer with a person from their community? Like these spaces are so important and it's mind-blowing to me that LA doesn't actually have a single lesbian bar and that there are only 21 gay lesbian bars in the whole country 
that's mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's just as simple as like, I don't want to have you. I don't want to date you. You're not a sexual object for me to obtain. I just want to sit here and have a beer with some queers and see if it fills my soul up a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's a good metaphor. The dum-dum. Yeah. I don't know if I leaned into it, but the mystery flavor. (laughs) Yeah. The mystery flavor of the (laughs) dum-dums. It's like, I really want to unpack it and write a larger (laughs) poem. That's like probably slightly erotic about suckers, you know? Yeah. The point is keep trying for the mystery flavor. Sometimes it's gross. Sometimes it's delicious. I love that. It's always the (laughs) dum-dum. It's always. (laughs) Um, So I wish that we could keep talking and talking and talking, but um, I do need to move us into our last kind of segment. And I realized I didn't tell you about this part. So surprise. Let's go. (laughs) It's a lightning round of questions. Okay. Um, And they're not, they're not, uh, they're not yes or no, because I was told that those were two binary. So they're open-ended lightning Uh, round questions. Open-ended, but you do want me to say like a word or a word. Yeah. Or like just as quick as possible. Keep it fresh. Keep it quick. Let's go. Okay. If you could name your own crayon, what would you name it? Mm, Emerald City. Ooh. Favorite time of day? 8 a.m. Favorite current queer media representation? Oh, I feel really bad that I don't remember her name, but the face is in my eyes right now. Um, We have a non-binary character in the show Harlem. That as a human is very sexy, wonderful, brilliant, smart. Google it. Amazing. We'll Google it. <laughs> a song that makes your heart sore. Oh, right now it's booed up by LMA. Okay. Favorite way to travel. Plane. <laughs> Favorite quote. Mm, cross that bridge when we come to it. Okay. And is that the quote or. We'll That's a quote. Oh, I was like, my dad says that to me because I get real stressed about the future, which is integral to my personality. Don't ever try to calm my stress about the future, but sometimes I need to hear we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Okay. Love it. And I couldn't get rid of this one bagels or donuts. Bagels. 100%. I hate sweet things. Mm. Well, that's the right answer. Right, bagels, right. Bagels is the right answer. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I wish you had done yes or no, because sometimes things are black or white. You know what I'm saying? Bagels mm-hmm. is. <laughs> that's what it is. That's true. But why? Um, Where do you come from in saying that? I feel like that's a rare agreement. That bagels are the best? Mm-hmm. Oh, because bagels are the best. I don't know. <laughs> like, okay, um, great. I mean, because I don't know. People... Like People donuts? just really love fried dough. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like, but bagels. Well, my reason is mostly because I'm anti-sweet things. So I'm not about donuts. I don't like sweet things at all. Mm. My palate really doesn't register them. I got you. I mean, I do like sweet things. And I'll eat it. I mean, I'll eat a donut. But if you put a bagel and a donut in front of me, actually, you know what's me, right. I know it's right. And it has to be a New York bagel. Precisely. Oh my God. A bagel anywhere else is not a bagel. No, exactly. I'm not going to like eat a lender's bagel and be like, yeah, oh my a bagel. God, Absolutely a Meyer's bagel from the store. Absolutely right. not. That's just a brick of whatever. We want the pH levels in the water in New York to make our goddamn bagels. That's right. So wait, where are you from that? You know, Meyer's. Isn't that like, I'm just seeing a logo in my brain. It's I'm from, I'm from Oregon. 
Oh, okay. I mean, cause I'm, I'm from Ohio and we had Meyer and I didn't know if it was like a Midwest thing or if it was. I don't know. That really came from the recesses of my childhood brain of like having them in the corner in the kitchen by bananas. Okay, cool. <laughs> I also, do I have time to unpack my, my flash answers like yes. quickly? Sure. Okay. So Cran Emerald City, I just saw a green Cran and I'm obsessed with the Wizard of Oz, like most good gays. Mm-hmm. Um, what was my other answer? Who knows? You can review it. That was the most important one. Okay. No, that's important. Well, I asked you favorite time of day. I asked you queer representation. 8 a.m. Because my brain stops working after seven. Like the demons come out and we can play, we can dance, we can do shows, but we can't like think very well post like 7 p.m. So I love 8 a.m. That's when I wake up with like clarity. I know what I want to do. I can like do hours of work and and then at around like 3 p.m. It's like I've had too many carbs or something and my brain just starts to go to sleep slowly. Mm, okay, good to know. Well, listen, we're past time. Your, your Pacific time. No, 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 no. I'm saying you're, we're, we're just at three. So it's like, is your brain feeling? How's your brain feeling? <laughs> my brain's feeling like it's time to do creative instead of work. I truly, I took a meeting at 8 a.m. today and I did so much work. I forwarded my career up until the minute I asked you for five more minutes, which is when I ate a cup of noodle. And so, yeah, the carbs are kicking in and now I'm just going to go sing, sing some songs on a mic. And that's, that's easy. I can do that. Amazing. Yeah. I love that. An ideal day. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom and your thoughts and your stories. It's just so grateful. So grateful. Thank you so much for having me. This really filled me up. Yay. Thank you for coming out. Bye. Bye. Thank you for coming out.